0: Hello everyone, good day and welcome again to my podcast, Journey of a Body Data Scientist with Joshua Matthew. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to be looking a bit more into the statistical path and ensure that everyone gets some level of understanding of the role statistics has to play on this career path of becoming a data scientist. So now, without wasting much time, I'm going to jump into Inferential Statistics. So what is Inferential Statistics? Basically from the word inference, it's to give kind of a a prediction or to deduce something from somewhere. It's, It's not like the descriptive statistics where you have central tendencies, you have main, you have media and you have mode telling you more about what is happening, right? Inferential statistics is telling you why something is happening. Right? So when you have things like the um, occurrence of something, maybe in your descriptive statistics, you are seeing your mood. When you talk about... Um, maybe age group between 20 to 30 and your mode is 24 then you get why 24 is your mode because descriptive statistics just going to see through the data and tell you what is there just describes the data as the name implies but in, inferential statistics can now tell you why you have 24 as your mode then what actually is happening and how it tells you is via relationships maybe the um, population growth rate in the country, and uh, something maybe mortality rate. So it's just going to find a regression line, and that's going to tell the relationship between the mortality rate and population growth in the country, and give you kind of an inference or draw some insights from that. Is and tell you that this could be the possible um, reason why you have 24 years. That's where the need for inferential statistics comes in to tell you why that has happened. Just trying to get <laughs> um, all of this in perspective, so we don't talk too much mathematics. Inferential statistics, in a nutshell, makes prediction about statistical measures. It uses point estimation, which is the use of sample data to measure a single value, right, which serves as an estimate or the approximate value of the unknown population parameter so it makes use of um, point estimation a singular value that serves as the approximate or the estimation of the unknown parameter that is um, in question you want to know something or you want to know the mean you want to know something and inferential statistics uses point estimation because remember our confidence level you can't be so sure because here you are dealing with sample you are not dealing with the actual data set you are not dealing with the population data set you are dealing with a sample that has either been randomly collected or um, deliberately collected all right so all you can do is just generate some um, data from your population Mean use that as your sample from your population rather use that as your sample then Any parameter from that population that is of interest to you can be gotten from the sample but remember it is not representing it as an actual parameter value, it is representing it as an approximate or estimated parameters value. So let's talk about finding estimates, there are a lot of methods for finding estimates. Right, So we have the method of moments which uses equating the first k sample moments to the corresponding k population moments. Right, Some of these things really need some visualizations for you to properly understand. So I would just recommend that you go read them up. But I'm just going to list them out for you to get familiar with. So you have the maximum likelihood which uses a model and the values in the model to ma- maximize a likelihood function okay so it results in the most likely parameter for the inputs that you have selected for the inputs that you have interest for you have interest in so you just maximize your likelihood oh this is likely almost likely to occur so you just maximize it for the set of input you have then we have the base estimator which ma- minimizes the average risk Then I think lastly, you have the best unbiased estimators. Um, That uses the, um, it is used actually to approximate a parameter, right? So you look at which one is the best amongst all of these estimators, which one of them is the best. However, that is always dependent on what parameter you're trying to find. So at some some points, at some parameters, it is best to use maybe the method of moments and in other parameters it is best it could be best to use base estimators which usually works with probability and all of that then at some other points you might want to use maximum likelihood then at some few points you might want to use best unbiased estimators but either of these four actually works fine for you finding your point estimates but you need to know how to plug them in and I would recommend you read more on them and get more familiar with how they work. So, for point estimates that I just mentioned, it is usually found between the interval estimates. Like, when I ask you how long is it going to take you to make two noodles and a liter of water or half a liter of water, you can tell me 10 to 15 minutes. So that's an estimate interval or an interval of estimates. So you have your lower confidence limit, which is 10. You have your upper confidence limit, which is 15. So in between 10 to 15 should reside the actual value. So now the actual value can be gotten by an estimated value, which has to be at a point. So you can't say 10 to 15 minutes. I would just say on the average maybe 13 minutes Or 12.5 minutes. So now that 12.5 minutes is a point estimate because it resides between an interval estimate, which is bounded by the lower confidence limit, which is 10, and the upper confidence limit, which is 15. I just hope that explains. I'm just trying my best here. (laughs) All right, so the interval estimate is an interval or range of values used to estimate a population parameter. because in reality, in reality, 10 to 15 minutes should carry the actual time that is needed to make two noodles with half um, a liter of water, and maybe at 70 degrees Celsius of heat. Okay, so that's just the concept of point estimate. So the confidence interval is quite the measure of your confidence. That the interval estimate contains the population mean like I just said now usually it is expected that the interval estimate contains the actual value you are looking for so your confidence interval is just giving you that measure of confidence that's why you have lower confidence limit and the upper confidence limit to know that there is an actual point in that confidence interval where the actual um, the actual value resides in. Okay, so technically, this range of values constructed with the probability of including the true value of a, prob- of a parameter within it. So there's a probability in between. So I say, How long is it going to take you to get to my place? and you consider a lot of factors. Then you tell me it's going to take um, roughly between two to three hours. So at the end of the day, most likely you would arrive. In a time frame that matches between two and three hours. Either two hours, one minute, two hours, two minutes, all up to three hours. Okay, all right. So, confidence level, like we said in the last episode, confidence level shows how confident you are about your estimate. I am you hear things like I am 95% confident that the average time it takes for a boy to run, a boy of 10 years to run a one kilometer race in 30 minutes, so it gives you how much, it gives you a clue or a fig, it puts a figure to how confident you are about your estimate. Then you have your sampling error. Sampling error simply is the difference between point estimate and the actual population parameter value So remember the example I gave 10 to 15 minutes to cook two noodles. The sampling error could exist if you now make a point estimate of um, 12.5 minutes and in the end it takes 13 minutes to actually make that noodles ready with all the parameters, you have half a liter of water, you have 70 degrees Celsius of heat. So the sampling error is now zero, or yeah, 0.5 minutes, that's 30 seconds, that's your sampling error because that's the discrepancy between your point estimate and your actual um, parameter. Okay, and how you get it is of course for looking at central tendencies, you get the Sample mean which is usually mu minus um, The estimated um, Rather the actual mean which is like X bar, right? So you get the sample mean And you get the difference between the sample mean and the actual mean so Sampling error is usually the difference between the point estimated value and the actual populations parameters value So it's as simple as that All right uh margin of error margin of error is just like the sample um, sampling error while you're considering a given level of confidence so its formula is like uh, the margin of error e is equal to z underscore c times your standard deviation all over the square root of your sample value or your sample size, which is n. Okay, so we usually call this z, which is your level of confidence, as your z score, like <laughs> your z score, it has its own value. So, your margin of error puts into consideration the standard deviation that is the deviation between your actual mean and every other value. You remember, standard deviation measures your spread variance measures your spread variance is the square of uh, your standard deviation so it they both measure your spread and remember from the last episode i talked about you having a large standard deviation means that your values are quite dispersed so you'd have a bell curve but it's going to be fat, like wide bell curve but if you have a very small standard deviation in your data set, that means your values are quite narrow, less dispersed. So you have a very sharp curve. I, I don't want to call it a bell curve now because it's going to be very narrow. That means all your values are centered or central to the mean. So they are almost the same. All right. So that's um, so here. Now you're considering your standard deviation divided by the square root of your sample size multiplied by your level of confidence to give you your margin of error right and the way to get your z-score which is your level of confidence is the difference between your your actual value or your now if i are talking value most time we'll be referring to the mean because the mean is kind of um, a value that represents the whole data set right it's like the central value that holds everything together so when i say value sometimes i'm referring to the mean. so it's like talking about the difference between your sample mean and the population mean divided by your standard deviation that's going to give you a level of confidence so there's a z-score table if you just google it, z-score table the table is kind of like a four figure table, uh, table So you take your z-score, say your z-score is like 1.67 um, for instance, so you it has um, values on the vertical and on the horizontal, so maybe like on the x and the y-axis, right? So if you, you take the first two values, even across your decimal point, you take the first two values and you check it across the y-axis because your y-axis carry something like 1 something, 1 point when you check the z-score table, you're just going to, it's going to um, be clearer to you. So you take those two, banking on the example I'm giving, 1.67 for instance is your z-score, right? So you want to calculate it. You now take 1.6 on the y-axis, you hold that point, then you check the corresponding x-axis, that is the horizontal axis for 0.7 because taking 1.6 means you have 0.07 right so you now take 0.07 and check it across on the x axis you have 0.01 0.02 0.03 like that so you now go across that and find out where the intersect is the intersect between the x and the y axis is going to be your z score because now finding your confidence level which is the difference between your sample mean and population mean all over sigma, which is your standard deviation, gave you 1.67. You took 1.6, check it across the y-axis, took uh, 0.07, check it across the x-axis. Where the intercept is, is going to now give you your z-score. So that's why they call it the z-score calculator or the z-score table. Please get familiar with it. It's quite important and very useful if you are looking into machine learning. We'll, we'll talk more about that in the, in the following episodes. We'll talk more about that. I'll quickly go into hypothesis testing. Um, this is usually used just to formally check whether the hypothesis is accepted or rejected. You hear something like not hypothesis and you have alternative hypothesis and right? you have h not and sometimes you have H1. It depends on where your background is. But we have both the null and the alternative hypothesis. And it just checks whether you accept or you reject a hypothesis. Remember, hypothesis is kind of like um, talking about something, like giving, um, how do I put it in clearer terms? Hypothesis is like stating a seemingly fact. It's not really factual because it is subject to acceptance. Or rejection so you can just say something it's a hypothesis so you hear something like I would hypothetically say that every Yoruba person loves pepper." so you are saying it as though it's a fact but it's still subject to contention it's still subject to whether it's accepted or rejected so the null hypothesis deals more with um, you looking at that very statement right and say there's maybe no significant difference so it kind of approves that oh yeah there's no significant difference that every Yoruba person would not like pepper so yeah of course every Yoruba person should like pepper so null hypothesis usually approves and um, checks if there's no significant difference but the alternative hypothesis kind of disapproves the assumption and it tries to say that no, this statement or event is biased. So now we check the level of bias using something we call the p value. The p value is usually, we assume that once a hypothesis falls below um, 5%, which is 0.05, right, it's, it's quite biased. So it's quite biased. If your hypothesis falls below 5%, it is very, very biased and if your hypothesis is like okay six percent well we can still contend it but if it's below five percent it is quite biased please check hypothesis testing check more on no hypothesis check more on um, alternative hypothesis and try to understand the whole thing about um inferential statistics and it will be clearer i'm just trying to run through without giving too much formulas and technicalities so pardon me if it looks like it was a bit rough but trust me when you read more on it it will solidify and you would appreciate listening to this very podcast so in summary the steps for making a hypothesis test is one to state the hypothesis that is both null and hypothe uh, and alternative hypothesis to so formulate an analysis plan. Like, you formulate an analysis plan, that is, you are constructing it, that, oh, this is how I'm going to analyze this very hypothesis, because hypotheses sometimes are assumptions, right? Then the next thing is to analyze the sample data. You calculate and interpret the test statistics as described in the analysis plan. Because you have a plan to analyze how you're analyzing it, then you try to interpret your result after analysing the sample data, you interpret the result, and this is where you um, make use of a decision rule. Because in your sorry, in your analysis plan, you have something that you're going to use like a KPI. Like okay, once it happens this way, then this is my decision. So you make use of your decision rule to arrive at the interpretation of what you are seeing as your result. is when you can now say oh there is no significant difference so let us approve this hypothesis Or yeah there's a significant difference let us disapprove this hypothesis and remember there's a threshold of 0.05 which is five percent if it goes below you say that the alternative uh, um, sorry the alternative hypothesis is in line alternative hypothesis is in order but if it is above 0.05 p value then you say the null hypothesis is in order therefore you accept the hypothesis it's just like saying you're looking at correlation i think we'll talk more about this when we get to correlation and regression let me not bore you too much so thank you very much guys for listening to today's um, episode of the journey of a budding data scientist trust me it's going to get even more interesting these are the boring parts let's get the mathematics out of the way and here on out it's going to get interesting a bit boring but trust me it's going to be valuable and you enjoy the ride remember it's a bumpy ride so stay braced up stay prepared stay ready for impact and a lot of bumps are on the way we're going to get through them and remember to learn, keep growing and then you can lead. Bye.